0: Michael Vaughanen. Welcome to the Tolkien Lore Channel. I'm the Tolkien Geek, and in this video, I want to talk about my five picks for the best scenes in Peter Jackson's movies. Now, when I say the best scenes, I don't mean the best cinematically. I don't mean the best in terms of accuracy to the book, per se. I mean best in terms of they're really well done on screen. They are at least very much in the spirit of Tolkien's story and they're not so inaccurate as to be painful. So with that introduction, uh, I'm not gonna put these in a particular order in terms of which one I think is the best. I'm gonna put them in chronological order, mainly because some of them are really hard to, they're hard for me to put in a top five list in an order of which one's better than another. So I'm just gonna forego that and go from earliest part to the latest part of the story. So let's get started. You're gonna find out that about half of this list is from the Fellowship of the Ring, because there's some really, really great stuff from the Fellowship. And the first one comes with Gimli's gift from Galadriel in the gift-giving at Lothlorien. Now, this is one of those where the actual way it's done in the movie is very different from the way it's done in the book. In the book, you get, you know, Each person gets their gift all at the same time, and it describes all of them. Galadriel asks Gimli, what would a dwarf ask of the elves? The Gimli replies, nothing except to look upon the Lady Galadriel one last time. So far, it's more or less in line with the movie, but then the movie starts to diverge because the movie kind of does this as sort of a semi-flashback-slash-cut-to-the-future-in-between scene, and the movie never actually shows the gift being given, whereas the book goes through the process of, um, he, he literally says, I'm not going to ask for anything. And she says, well, you know, you're not going to be the only one who goes away f- from us empty-handed. Name your gift. And he said, well, if I have to name something, and he even goes so far to say, I'm not asking, I'm just naming it because you told me to do it. a a strand of your hair and then she gives it to him whereas in the movie you get a lot of build-up because you get the process of her asking what he wants and then he kind of shyly mumbles to himself and you get it cuts out and back to that scene and then what you end up getting is later you see Legolas and Gimli in their boat floating down river And he starts to say, which is also very close to, if not a direct quote from the movie, I mean the book, I've taken the worst wound from this parting, henceforth I shall call nothing fair unless it be her gift to me. Legolas says, what was her gift? And he says, I asked her for one hair from her golden head. She gave me three. And it's amazingly well done because John Rhys-Davies is such a phenomenal actor. He totally captures the awe and love that Gimli feels for Galadriel. It's so well done, even though it's not accurate to the book. And you also get to see Legolas's facial expression after Gimli says that, and you can tell Legolas is saying in his head, there's some hope for you dwarf after all. Because, of course, up to this point in the book, they don't really like each other, and the same goes in the movie. The That is one thing the books and the movies agree on is... Legolas and Gimli are not the best of friends up until Lothlorien, but after Lothlorien, that changes. And the reason it changes is because of Gimli's admiration for Galadriel. And you can see that in Legolas' facial expression in the movie, and it's just done so well. The the scene is acted very well, it's directed very well, and it very much does capture what happened internally for Gimli, because of his meeting Lady Galadriel. And so that's why I think this scene is a really good one, even though it's it's probably actually the least accurate one in this list, but it does such a good job of capturing so many different elements about how that event changes Gimli as a person and his relationship with Legolas that it's, it's hard not to include. So that's my first pick. The next pick I have is Boromir's death scene. Now, come on, you probably knew this was coming. Uh, You could arguably put this one all the way at the top if you really wanted to. Um, Sean Bean is great at dying, let's be honest. He's really, really, really good at getting killed in movies. Um, Sometimes he's the bad guy, sometimes he's the good guy. In this case, he's a fallen hero redeemed, and it works really well. Now, his character in the book is a little bit different than his character in the movie, so but it's not really different enough to to make a huge difference in terms of the redemptive quality of his final act in defending Marion and Pippin. Um, the way the setup for how it all happens is also a little bit different in the book and the movie, too. In the movie, the last time you see Boromir is after Frodo runs away. In the book, he actually goes back to the rest of the company and tells them what happened. They all go off searching and... Uh, well, people start just kind of running off trying to find Frodo, and Aragorn tells Boromir, go follow (laughs) Merry and Pippin and make sure they're safe, and he does, and then you later find out what happens. In the movie, you don't see Boromir again until you see Merry and Pippin about to be just swarmed by all these Uruk-hai, and then he jumps in at the last minute and saves them. It's a difference, but it's not a huge plot difference, and, of course, the way it all goes down is really, it, it's kind of, it's an, ugh. the other problem, of course, is in the book, you never see it happen. You get Boromir's recounting of it, and maybe Merry or Pippin's memory of it a little bit, but even then, it's vague and very short, and so you don't get a long battle scene in the book, which is, that's partially just because of Tolkien's preference for skipping battles or truncating them because that's not really the point of the story battles happen they're part of the plot they get over we're moving on and that makes a lot more sense in the book in the movie of course they want to show the action and but the way it's done you know forget the action the action part I could actually kind of skip over the fighting element of it is I mean Boromir is essentially hacking back and forth over and over again it's not very finessed it's not very good in terms of the choreography, so, you know, that part I could do without, but the fact that you actually see him defending the hobbits, getting shot with arrows, getting back up, fighting again, you know, you very much do get that idea that he is, you know, he knows this is his last chance to redeem himself, and doggone it, he's gonna do it, and then, of course, Aragorn comes along later, finds Boromir dying, and this, they also changed up a little bit from the book as well, but it was still really well done. It was a touching moment between the two of them, where Bormir finally acknowledges the kingship of Aragorn explicitly, and he's, you know, all this, and he actually goes on a little longer in the movie than he does in the book. He dies kind of a little too quickly for Aragorn's taste because he doesn't even get to tell him where Frodo is or anything like that. That's a little backwards, too, but anyway... It's just a really well done scene, Boromir does a great job, Sean Bean does a great job as Boromir, you know, being the redeemed hero, dying in service to the Hobbits, so that's why it makes the list. Now let's move to number three. Number three comes basically right after Boromir dies, although in the book it comes before Boromir is dead, at least in terms of writing, not necessarily in terms of chronological order, but the scene where Sam jumps into the river to go after Frodo as Frodo is leaving the company. The reason this makes it is because, again, there's a few differences, and and the main difference really is that in the book, he jumps wholesale into the river. You don't get the idea. There's a long, very light grade into the river. He just jumps wholesale and he could have drowned, Um, which shows his impetuousness in, in trying to, keep up with Frodo. But other than that, it's it's more or less the same scene. The dialogue's a little different, but it, in spirit at least, it's very similar. And you do get, in both the book and the movie, the very strong impression that Sam is doing this out of loyalty so strong that it can really only be called love in the end analysis. I mean, it, it's not just loyalty. He's He looks up to Frodo as a as somebody he loves. You know, not in a romantic sense, obviously, but a, a different type of love. So, you get Sam jumping into the river in the book and Sam wading into the river in the movie. In the movie, that, of course, lends a little extra um, gravitas, I suppose. And that may be the wrong word, a little bit too strong of a word, because you get Frodo telling him that he can't swim, whereas in the book... You already know he can't swim and he hates water because it's kind of been built up that hobbits generally don't like water or boats, and there's been comments, especially when they get into the boats at Lothlorien, that he's really not fond of it. And you see a little touch of that in the movie where he gets in the boat and it kind of rocks under him. He's like, oh. But you don't really get a lot, a lot of stuff on it in the movie, and so when Frodo says you can't swim, it gives you enough of that background that you didn't really get that was in the books to know that what Sam is doing is really really out of a sense of very strong loyalty it's he's not backing down even though he knows you know this is how far he's willing to go for his loyalty this he knows this is what he's supposed to do and that's you know when he gets out when Frodo pulls him out and he says you know I made a promise don't you leave him Samwise Gamgee That, again, is a little bit different than the way he says it in the book, but it has very much the same meaning. It's still the idea of, this is my job. I have something to do, and one, this is a different point in the book, but in the book he does say, you know, I feel like I have something I have to do before the end, and this is, you know, it's the same idea. He's very much carrying through, this is my role in this story, and I am going to see it through. And the... You know, some some people have kind of criticized the the way that this happens and some of Frodo and Sam's relationship is seeming a little bit too much like a bromance slash romance slash whatever. And I mean, a, w- the one that I'm thinking of really is the Nostalgia Critic. You can find, um, I'll, I'll go ahead and link to his video, The Eleven Dumbest Moments from the Lord of the Rings. I don't really see what he sees in scenes like this that they're, semi-romantic. It's not really a thing. They're just really, really, you know, they love each other as friends. But you definitely do see that in the movie. So that's why it's up in this list. So now I can finally move on from The Fellowship of the Ring. Okay, my one pick from The Two Towers is the Gollum Smeakle scene. You've got Gollum wrestling with himself in his mind, trying to decide what he's going to do. Now, Again, like most of the ones on this list, there are some significant differences between the movie version and the book version. In the book version, he's actually fighting himself as he's reaching to grab the ring from a sleeping Frodo. um, And Sam wakes up and finds him doing this. And, And that's a significant aspect in the book as well. And the argument he has with himself is also somewhat different. But... That being said, the way that they changed the story a little bit and character development for Gollum in the movie, it makes a lot of sense the way they did this. And it, it's just phenomenally well done. It, it's a, just, it's a great scene just in and of itself. So it's done extraordinarily well, and it's, it does a lot of things right. And it does capture more or less the essence of Gollum-smeagol- the divide of, you know, on the one hand, he actually does feel some kind of love, maybe a strong, too strong a word, but some kind of at least admiration for Frodo because of the pity he showed him and how he treats him and things like that, but also the that that very hard to conquer desire that I want the ring back, it's mine. So you definitely get that and you get the idea that there's very much an internal struggle there, and it's the wrong kind of internal struggle, but it works. So, just the, this one really made it to the top just because it's so well done. This is in the running for the least accurate of the scenes, but you know, that's it's still accurate enough, I think, that it, it works. So, now we get one scene from the Return of the King. So, my one pick from Return of the King is the scene where the Rohirrim finally arrive at the Battle of the Polenor Fields in Minas Tirith, and charge the forces of Mordor. The reason I really, really like this scene, and it might be my favorite of the bunch, uh, is because the way it is filmed and, and directed and everything really captures the feel that I get whenever I read the passage from the actual Lord of the Rings in the book. And just for reference, let me read that real quick. So the Rohirrim have just arrived at the, uh, within sight of Minas Tirith, and they can see the battle going on. And then suddenly Mary felt it at last, beyond doubt, a change. Wind was in his face, light was glimmering. Far, far away in the south, the clouds could be dimly seen, as remote as gray shapes, rolling up, drifting. Morning lay beyond them. You have to remember, everything has been dark and gloomy because of the clouds that have been coming from Mordor. But at that same moment, there was a flash, as if lightning had sprung from the earth beneath the city. For a searing second, it stood dazzling far off in black and white, its topmost tower like a glittering needle. And then as the darkness closed again, there came rolling over the fields a great boom. That, of course, is when the great uh, battering ram, Gron, finally breaks the gates of Minas Tirith. At that sound the bent shape of the king sprang suddenly erect, tall and proud he seemed again, and rising in his stirrups he cried aloud, cried in a loud voice, more clear than any there had ever heard a mortal man achieve before. Arise, arise, riders of Théoden. fell deeds awake, fire and slaughter, spear shall be shaken, shield be splintered, a sword day, a red day, ere the sun rises. Ride now, ride now, ride to Gondor. Now that's obviously a little bit different than the way it does it in the movie, because in the movie, you don't really... The speech is a little bit different, and that's not a big deal. But then um, it moves on to, "...with that he seized a great horn from Guthloth his banner-bearer, and he blew such a blast upon it that it burst asunder. And straightway all the horns in the host were lifted up in music, and the blowing of the horns of Rohan in that hour was like a storm upon the plain and a thunder in the mountains." "'Ride now, ride now, ride to Gondor.'" And this is where it gets good. "'Suddenly the king cried to Snowmane, and the horse sprang away. "'Behind him his banner blew in the wind, white horse upon a green, field of green, "'but he outpaced it. "'After him thundered the knights of his house, but he was ever before them. "'Eomer rode there, the white horsetail on his helm, "'floating in his speed, and the front of the first Eorid "'roared like a breaker foaming to the shore, "'but Theoden could not be overtaken.'" Fay he seemed, or the battle fury of his fathers ran like new fire in his veins, and he was borne up on Snowmane like a god of old, even as Orme the Great in the Battle of the Valar when the world was young. His golden shield was uncovered, and lo, it shone like an image of the sun, and the grass flamed into green about his white about the white feet of his steed. for morning came morning and a wind from the sea and darkness was removed and the hosts of mortal wailed and terror took them and they fled and died and the hoofs of wrath rode over them and then all the host of Rohan burst into song and they sang as they slew for the joy of battle was on them and the sound of their singing that was fair and terrible came even to the city now when i read that and then i watched the movie version that's pretty much the same feeling that i get It's very much that impression of, you know, the hosts of Mordor just absolutely terrified. Everything is suddenly turning against them completely unexpectedly, and the sun comes up, and that's—part the of it, too, is the music. Howard Shore did a really great job with the score in this scene because as the sun comes up and the music swells, and then you get all that, and then the the Rohirrim ride— down and basically they're just unstoppable. It's in it's a really really great scene, and it's done so well. I think that the only real problem is the fact that in the book it's supposed to happen more or less at the same time that Gandalf and the Ringwraith, uh, the Lord of the Ringwraiths, the Witch King are facing off. In the movie they ruin that because of the way that it goes down. In the book there's an actual standoff. They're both you know, standing across from each other on horses and facing each other, and neither is obviously the superior of the other. Whereas in the movie, you get the distinct impression that the Witch King has the upper hand, and Gandalf seems terrified. Eh, they ruin that, but the the actual scene itself of the Rohirrim finally arriving and then charging the field that always gets me. It's it's one of my favorite scenes in all three movies, to be honest, and. I think it very well captures the the emotional aspects of that passage that I just read. It's really great stuff. So that's why it's the one scene that I picked from The Return of the King. So those are my five choices for the best scenes from the Lord of the Rings movies. If you disagree or have other things that you think should have made it, feel free to comment in the comments below and let me know what you think. Uh, Please also like and share the video around. Subscribe if you want to learn more about Lord of the Rings or other things that Tolkien put out. Um, And if you don't want to subscribe, you can also follow me on Twitter at JRRTLore. Until next time, this is the Tolkien Geek signing out for the Tolkien Lore Channel. Namai